All right, welcome everyone to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined today, as always, by Benjamin Carlson and Brian Wells. NFL Week 10 is in the books, and we're here to react to its most important games. We'll discuss the Seahawks ending the 49ers' perfect season, the Steelers' defense leading them back into the playoff picture, and another remarkable performance from Lamar Jackson, and more from this past weekend. For the first time this fall, we'll be discussing college football and the latest CFP rankings following one of the season's best Saturdays. We'll break down LSU's statement win in Tuscaloosa and other top contenders' paths and claims to a spot in the four-team playoff field. And in honor of the 15th anniversary of the release of the SpongeBob SquarePants movie, the three of us count down our favorite episodes from the classic Nickelodeon cartoon in today's Top 5. So NFL Week 10 has completed. We are more than halfway through the season as we start to enter that crunch time uh, with the playoffs coming up. And I'd like to welcome back Ben, not just to this episode as he wasn't on last week, but also back uh, to his home after being in the Bay Area for this game this weekend. So Uh, Ben, tell us, what was it like to be at one of the most exciting Monday night games in recent memory, watching Russell Wilson and the Seahawks win in overtime? Some people said it was the biggest game so far at Levi Stadium. It was so... When I bought these tickets, I didn't realize how hype it was going to be going to this Monday night game. And I already knew it was going to be pretty hype because it was, you know, our Seahawks rivalry is still probably our biggest rivalry at this moment. Um, And... The, the Niners showed up, dude. Levi Stadium was absolutely rocking, which is nice because we haven't really enjoyed a home field advantage ever at Levi Stadium, not only because we've never been good while we're there, but also it's got a lot of problems. So usually it's really hot out there. It bakes the crowd, and then people don't want to go to their seats. It was a night game. The weather was beautiful, and it was awesome. We tailgated. We did the whole the whole deal, although pro football tailgating, maybe just at Levi, Park, Levi Stadium, does not hold a candle to sec tailgating okay because the gates only open like three hours before the game kicks off like to get into your parking spot oh yeah at that point you're already like eight beers deep at a college football seriously my brother and i when we found that out because we were like had big plans we're like oh like like, okay (laughs) and we we still had a good time but i just want to give credit where credit's due the sec just still knows how to party um, cause all the other Niners games I've been to, um, I've either shown up later, like right before the game. So I didn't know how long the tailgate was or it was an away game and it, was, it wasn't much of a tailgate. It was more of just going in anyways, this game specifically, the Niners look, no excuses. You got to win uh, big games like this. Um, but <laughs> the Niners did deal with some big injuries, like having, not having Kittle, not having gold, not having Sanders after or for most of the game. Um, Ronald Blair tore his ACL early in the game. Um, DJ Jones also got a sack on Russell Wilson. I'll, I'll mention, but, um, anyways, 
But that's the thing when you're when you're a a, a team that has Super Bowl hopes, you know, you're going to be playing in the playoffs. You got to know it's, it's never going to be perfect, and you have to be able to play through things like that. Um, and the Seahawks aren't without their own injury issues. So um, I was also just as a Gamecock homer. It was cool to see Clowney play in the pros, especially with what a huge game this man had. He was an absolute menace on that D line, and. Um, it was it was just an absolute I don't know it was a back and forth classic this game with so much emotion um, it was really it was just a really amazing experience to be part of the crowd up until the very last moment uh, when the Seahawks finally got the game winning kick um, but it was it was a heart attack and a half halfway through the game and um, you mean you didn't you know, enjoy that Chase McLaughlin kick that was only fifty yards wide left it was pretty bad but at the same time it's like. It, a backup kicker like it was it was something we weren't super confident in to begin with i feel like we were lucky to get as much out of him as we did um at that point he did make that huge kick to even get him to overtime so going one for two there you can't hate that much yeah and also i I think i if you're gonna blame somebody it's got to be the wide receiver core um i felt like kyle shanahan game planned for the Niners to win with what they had. And there are some guys who just could not make a play. Even Debo, who had his biggest game as a pro, had some major drops. And it's like, it's difficult to um, make your game plan work when it's working, but your your receivers just aren't executing. So I think it's a humbling experience. It's a learning experience and hopefully a situation we won't have to deal with all that much because you see, now it's obvious to everyone, how heavily this, this offense relies on George Kittle and how much it relies on Emmanuel Sanders. So I, unfortunately I think that that's been revealed a little bit, but at the same time, those are guys we expect to have moving forward. So something that 49ers can um, hope to get back into that offense, maybe fix some things. Yeah. And it it was a huge game for both teams. Uh, You know, of course the Niners not only looking to maintain that undefeated start to the season and prove to nine and oh, but they were also looking to widen their lead over the Seahawks and the rest of the NFC West Instead, they lose and find themselves eight and one, while Seattle is right on their doorstep at eight and two. Uh, so, in in terms of like the head to head at this point, yeah, the game is in San Francisco, a big win for the Seahawks, but they won in overtime. So it's not like you can necessarily take too much away from that. It's not like Seattle just totally destroyed the Niners and brought them back down to earth. Yeah, it's a humbling losing a game like that, especially uh, when you you have all those injuries and the receivers don't play nearly as well as you want them to. And it's a a big Monday night football game, uh, the kind of playoff atmosphere that you hope to win. But to me, I don't know if this necessarily takes away from the San Francisco 49ers. I think it's definitely a a huge win for the Seahawks. It's the kind of game that Seattle needs to be able to win if they're going to uh, push themselves back into that uh, first-place aspiration in the NFC West. So I I think overall, it it was a great game and definitely a, a fun game to be a part of. Obviously, you'd rather have your team win. Uh, but in terms of these two teams, I don't know if you necessarily take away that Seattle is the better team from this or that San Francisco has is in a world of hurt. The Seahawks are all of a sudden the best team in the NFC. Uh, I think there's a lot that we learned, but there's still a lot more to learn in these final six and seven games of the season. Yeah, the way I rationalized it in my head was it felt like a playoff game, but thankfully it wasn't. Like the Seahawks fans that were in the stands were living it up after they won. Because they, oh, God, I, I, they're they're definitely one of my least favorite fan bases because they've enjoyed so much success recently. And the people that were in Levi Stadium definitely didn't do anything to change that <laughs> after they won. I'm sure. Uh, so I guess like just in, in terms of the whole mindset of uh, thankfully this isn't a playoff game. 
putting yourselves in the shoes of someone who was hoping to see your team win and come out big in a playoff-like atmosphere and fall short, I know that we talked about the receivers, but what is your confidence level in Jimmy Garoppolo right now in terms of those big games? I actually, from this game, I, I look at Jimmy Garoppolo more, a little bit less than, uh, less positively than I have like from the start of the season. I mean, if you take out that Arizona game, he's had 10 passing touchdowns, eight interceptions, and four lost fumbles. I think that if the Niners are going to go deep into the playoffs, I think they're going to have to win defensively. And I think Garoppolo, I don't want to say he's been the weak link of their team, but he hasn't had the strongest start. And I mean, yes, their offensive line did not play well, given especially with how well Clowney played and not having Sanders and Kittle definitely hurt as well. But Garoppolo, he, he looked really jittery in the pocket and he had some, he had those two fumbles in that game, one at the end of the first half and one in the third quarter. Uh, those are two two brutal turnovers, and then the Kendrick Bourne drop like that. I think I, that's more on the receiver than than Garoppolo. But I was completely I, on the receiver. Yeah. But Jimmy had some other throws that definitely deserved to be picked off. Um, in this, the KJ game. Wright one with two minutes left to go that should have been picked. I agree. Although something else to mention, we know I mentioned some of the injuries at the beginning that the Niners were dealing with. The Niners also got Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey back, and while Joe Staley had a pretty good game. McGlinchey got absolutely dominated by Clowney for the majority of this game. And and I would argue that that was a big reason why Jimmy didn't like looked uncomfortable when he did. Um, I mean, it's going to sound like a 49ers homerism, but Jimmy G has not been asked to do all that much in this game or sorry, in this season, having a really good run game has been a big yeah. part of that. He has had some ridiculously bad, like boneheaded turnovers. Um, but he's also been pretty good at other times. So I I'm, I'm still holding out for Jimmy Garoppolo here. I don't think he's the problem. I think we fixed some of these catches. This game is not nearly what we like and ends up being what it became. It, it does feel a little crazy just thinking back on how Jimmy Garoppolo totally turned around the 49ers in 2017 when he's acquired going from 1 and 10 to 6 and 10. Uh, but he, he certainly has not looked like that elite player or a potentially elite player that he did since that time. Yeah, he's still found ways to win games. Of course, the 49ers defense has been a big help. The running game has been a big help. Uh, but I, I do think there is a little bit of a reason to be concerned about Garoppolo moving forward. But he'll get plenty more chances because the Niners, you know, is something that you have said in the past is you don't get to choose your schedule. The Niners have certainly played a favorable schedule to this point in the season. They haven't really been an underdog. Throughout the season, have I don't even know if they've been underdogs. At all. I guess the Rams not was the only people, game. Not since people found out who they actually were. Yeah. Like, no, and it, even then, it's like some of their early games against the Bucks and the Bengals, where they were just like plus one. Uh, but now the the Niners play the Packers at home in two weeks. They have to go Sunday to New football. Orleans play the Saints. They got yeah. Flexed. Yep, they have another game at Seattle. They still have to play the Rams again. So there's there's plenty of opportunity for Jimmy to turn things around, or you know, leave you question him even more. But it does feel like the Niners are in really good shape in terms of at least getting to the postseason, and they have the pieces to to keep them afloat at the very least, even if some of those big games don't turn up in their favor like the Monday night one. Yeah, and, and just to kind of get us moving along here, because I, I could keep us talking about Niners all night, um, I think we have a good opportunity to show up and uh, against the Cardinals, actually host the Cardinals this time, and show that we still are a dominant team. The Seahawks are another like title contender, and we played that they played like it, so let's prove that we're still a better team than the Cardinals. Let's win by more than we did last time. So I'm gonna reserve. I'm gonna 
look forward to the Niners' next test to prove that we're still winners. I guess my one concern would be is, I mean, we've seen for the first like eight or nine games or so, the Niners, like you said, the running game has been great, but once they faced Seattle this past Monday, the running game wasn't, Brita and Coleman weren't doing much, but, and because of that, Garoppolo had to drop back a lot, and because of that, he didn't play so well. Like, Would you be concerned about that if they can't run the ball well? Well, I would just counter with last time we played the Cardinals. We couldn't run the ball. They sold out against the run, and guess who threw four touchdowns? So I am I, I think the Kyle Shanahan offense is always very game plan heavy. It's Kyle Shanahan trying to pick apart your defense, figure out what he can get easily against it. Sometimes that's on the ground. Sometimes that's through the air. And, um, and I think if our wide receivers could catch in this game, it is no excuses. We should have won. Okay? I'm not saying that it completely would have changed it. But... If everyone can execute, I think Kyle Shanahan can find a way to win, and uh, even if that's passing, because again, I believe in Jimmy. Well, who knows? Maybe maybe he's basically handsome Jared Goff out there, and McVay <laughs> can 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 only bring Goff so far. Maybe it's the same thing with <laughs> maybe it's the same thing with Kyle Jared Shanahan. Goffa. He's only going to bring uh, he's oh only going to bring Jimmy so far. <laughs> Hey, you know what? That that is a great transition into our next matchup. Is let's talk about uh, Jared Goff and you know, why you're bringing him down because he only mustered three points against the Pittsburgh Steelers defense. Uh, of course, Steelers won the game 17 to 12 with the Rams defense providing a touchdown and a safety. But all of a sudden, the Steelers and the Rams, two teams that seem to be on opposite wavelengths through three weeks of the season, are now both five and four as the Steelers have won four in a row, five out of six, while L.A. has uh, struggled since their 3-0 and start. And this, this game has uh, put both of these teams in great shape and not so great shape. I love that all three of our favorite teams have really, really good defenses and sort of mediocre offense, if, if you think about it. Uh, and that the Mick of the Mick and Fitzpatrick move earlier in the year, I, I don't want to say I trashed the move, but I wasn't a fan of it. And it, you know, it may still hurt them in the long term, but right now it's help. It's really helping them a lot right now, and uh, they could possibly make the playoffs still, which is really amazing to think about after after their horrible start to the season. If the season ended today, the Steelers would be the number six seed in the postseason, which I agree. It's amazing after that that 0-3 start. And, you know, I was a huge fan of the Minka Fitzpatrick trade because, to me, the Steelers were in a position when Ben Rossberg goes down for the season. They're 0-2. They're turning to Mason Rudolph, who they believe in. He was a guy who they gave him a first-round grade. So the thought was that Mason Rudolph, whenever he was going to be called upon, had the possibility to lead this team to success. The defense was a glaring weakness in those first two losses to the Patriots and the Seahawks. So they went out and got a playmaker, a guy who you're giving up a first-round pick for a guy who was just taken in the first round the year before. You skip the development point. At this point, you know what you're getting, and Fitzpatrick has been phenomenal. So I understand why a lot of people were down on that move early in the season, but it's great to see everyone have their words eaten because uh, the Steelers right now, whether or not they make the playoffs, they didn't. does not seem like they give up a top-10 pick for this guy. Yeah, I love it. This is one of those ones where I, I was frustrated that uh, more teams didn't like shoot the bidding price up higher because I think the Steelers kind of got a good price for this guy, and the results only confirm that. Like This is a tremendous return on investment, even though, granted, it is a small um, 
sample size, but still, he's been nothing but amazing since he's been a Steeler. And their defense is definitely why they're winning because Absolutely. even though they this is a really <laughs> impressive win against the Rams, that offense doesn't really instill a lot of confidence in me. No, and uh, it's, it's definitely been a rough go at it the past couple games. James Conner is uh, looking to be back, looking to play against the Cleveland Browns. So in theory, Conner coming back, he was great against the Dolphins. That can add a little spark to help out Mason Rudolph that Jalen Samuels and Trey Edmonds, the, the four-string running back, were unable to provide these past two games. But yeah, I agree. If the Steelers are going to keep winning, they're going to be winning because of the defense. And Mason Rudolph will only, they'll only get as far as Mason Rudolph will take them. And it's been a, a really slow go at it in terms of Mason Rudolph developing into a average league passer because uh, I, I think that it's just one of those things where he's kind of rushed out there and he's done an admirable job as a game manager, but he definitely has not given any reason to believe that he is going to win Steelers games. So that <laughs> their best offensive player is Minka Fitzpatrick at times. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so it's definitely one of those things where like you feel really great about the defense, but the offense is still not not so great. So what do you guys think is wrong with the Rams, though? Well, I, lo- I love that was perfect timing for me to use uh, to pick Jared Goff as the most disappointing player because he's, he's currently proving that right now, and I, I still think he sucks. And th- th- that contract, the Goff contract and the girly ones, both of those are looking worse by the week. And... Uh, the the Rams last year they started out eleven and one, and then ever since they got exposed by the Bears defense on Sunday night last year, uh, they've been seven and six uh, in the re- regular season wise ever since then. And uh, it looks like the Rams. I don't I don't want to, you know I would push the pan- panic button on the Rams. I, it looks like it's they're falling off the rails right now, and maybe McVay's schemes have been exposed a little bit. I'm not sure. And another thing is their O-line has been pretty atrocious. Atrocious. I mean, last year they were one of the best offensive lines, and now this year they're one of the worst, and they can't get anything going because of that. Yeah, I mean, if the Rams were in the NFC East, then I wouldn't be worried about them because they'd be 5-4 and four and tied for first place. <laughs> but they're in the NFC West, and they have to, they're looking up at the 49ers and the Seahawks, and there are multiple games behind both of them. So, yeah, I think that there is plenty of reason to – to believe that the Rams are in danger of missing the playoffs this year. And like you said, the, the Jared Goff contract does not look great. He's certainly been a very big disappointment this season. And, and Todd Gurley is clearly hurt. I mean, or he's clearly not a hundred percent since last no. year. They, they just try to avoid him as much as possible. And it, it's really bad, really, really bad. What What's going on in there? Well, whenever the Rams have trouble, I always think about Sean McVay because it always felt like he was the reason they just suddenly became good. You know, like he was able to take mm-hmm. this, the the talent they had and make it into something. And uh, it's, I don't know, is this man running out of ideas? That fake punt was ridiculous. Oh. I was like, <laughs> has Jeff Fisher returned to coach the freaking Rams with this ballsy? Back-to-back plays, like, <laughs> yeah. Takes off Jared Goff to put Blake Bortles and Johnny Hecker at quarterback. Oh, my gosh, yeah. He's just outsmarting himself. And, yeah, um, I, Honestly, though, there's all these rumors that have been going around this season about the Redskins and will there be a reunion with Sean McVay? And you got to wonder with the Rams, with the way they're playing, does he almost decide, hey, I'd rather go to Washington because if I can have success there, then I can revive myself because right now it's it's looking bad, especially that Super Bowl, three points. And 
you know, the Rams have had a few offensive explosions this year, but they've they've definitely not been nearly as uh, dynamic as they were most of last season. I don't know if I'd want to leave the the great city of L.A. to go to Washington and with Dan Snyder uh, as the owner of their team. So I don't know if I'd I don't know if I if I were McVay, I don't know if I'd consider that. But I mean, also if, if you're the Rams, him, maybe if they gave him John Gruden money, I'd consider it. But Outside well, of that, no. Also, if you're the Rams organization, are you really ready to go back to Jared Goff without Sean McVay? Like, is that, or he is he gone too? Like, <laughs> oh, is no, this their total no. rebuild? <laughs> no, the Rams would not willingly part with him at this point. But uh, it, it is one of those things where it, it feels like the Rams have had a huge drop off, and with those those contracts that they're handing out, now all of a sudden they're in a position where they they basically have to pay Jalen Ramsey. They give up way too much for him to just be a, a short rental before he becomes a free agent. They're they're running out of money that they can spend in other places, and teams with that with a quarterback on a huge contract that isn't a guy who's going to consistently lead you to a Super Bowl or at least Super Bowl contention every year are in really bad shape. And it's looking like the Rams could be in danger of that. Wait, they got Blake Bortles backing him up. They're all set. All right. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. All right. Uh, So let's, uh, let's move on to our next matchup now. So the Steelers right now have been playing great. But they haven't even necessarily been the best team in their division of late because the Baltimore Ravens continue to just wonder, uh, think, thanks to Lamar Jackson as their quarterback. Uh, he Coming off huge wins over the Seahawks and the Patriots, he comes out against a bad Bengals team and throws another perfect passer ready game, just totally wiping the floor with Cincinnati. And at this point, it's starting to wonder if Lamar Jackson is uh, the MVP favorite in this league. In terms of the MVP, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give anyone that much credit for lighting up the freaking Cincinnati Bengals out of all teams. They're just the worst. They're literally, they're literally the worst team in the league. But in terms of a team, I do credit the Ravens for for winning the way they did, uh, just blowing, you know, blowing doors off. I mean, coming off a sun, a big Sunday night win versus the Patriots, you think, all right, they're thinking too highly of themselves, and then all of a sudden they just come out flat. But no, they still, they still kept still kept the motor running and they they just owned the Bengals and so I think it's an impressive win for the Ravens and they're definitely a team that I would take seriously come January listen I uh I'm with you on the whole not wanting to praise uh anybody who beats the Bengals too much because the Bengals are quite terrible but it's long overdue that I even though this is the Ravens I it's it's long overdue that I ate some crow on Lamar Jackson because I doubted this man in the offseason. I was a big doubter, as many people were. But yeah, you, you certainly weren't the only one. He literally couldn't throw the football at all. It, like just yeah. the the last game we saw was the Chargers game, uh, Chargers playoff game where he could he couldn't do anything for 3 quarters. Right. And and it's it's I'm not saying it was unreasonable back then, but it is reasonable now to admit how wrong I was. Uh because Lamar Jackson is playing amazingly right now um i mean again it's kind of uh stat padding to even play the Bengals right now but um even before this he has played amazingly and i just wanted to be on the record saying i was wrong um but i recognize that i'm wrong so 
that's my a little bit of absolution there, eating a little bit of crow. Also, we got to recognize when uh, Lamar Jackson spun the soul out of a couple of guys on that long touchdown run. Just an absolute video game type play. Yeah, that's, oh, absolutely. It was my first thought. He hit the circle, circle button, Madden just broke free on that touchdown. That's, that's, that's the type of play, play where you're like, uh, only in a video game. And then he did it yep. in real life. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I understand not wanting to give Jackson too much praise for this game. I understand why back in week one, Brian had his doubts over his performance against the Miami Dolphins. But Jackson's putting up these phenomenal numbers, and not every quarterback is going up against these teams and putting up these kind of numbers. Not every quarterback has come out and thrown a perfect passer rating of 59 points against the Dolphins since that game. And it, not every quarterback has thrown uh, a perfect passer rating with 49 points against the Bengals before this. Uh, of course, some defensive touchdowns here and there to inflate that score, but still, Jackson has been phenomenal this year, and it just doesn't make sense to doubt this guy any longer. So, yeah, yeah. For for my in my opinion, I I think I think his game is not sustainable for a, like a 15 year career, but for right now, for this year, yeah, I. I I take Lamar Jackson and the Ravens a lot more seriously than I did in the beginning of the year. Yeah, Brian, I think you make a good point. A 15-year career probably is unrealistic for Lamar Jackson, but like an elite eight-year career, I think could happen with his game, the way he plays. Maybe that's all he needs. Maybe that's all he wants. Um, at least the Ravens, I think, see it that way, as it's worth putting him in harm's way, you know, in a certain uh, perspective, to get this elite type of gameplay out of him. I've talked about this with Corey before. I, I don't know. I think it was last week where I I, I worry that he with someone his size will will take will eventually take really really big hits throughout his career. But I don't I don't th- even though he's not as big as Cam Newton, he doesn't take the hits like Cam Newton. He definitely does a good job of avoiding avoiding the big hits. Well, so, if there's anybody who can teach him or or try to teach him to learn from his own mistakes, it's his teammate. And backup QB, Robert Griffin III, who saw a lot of minutes in this game. That's why, uh, even though it's stat padding to play the Bengals, Lamar Jackson was like, well, I'll, I'll only play like three quarters. So that's uh, that's not really – like other quarterbacks are playing four quarters, right? They should be able to get better stats. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, th- did you see that that Robert the the play when the they ran like, the interception the triple option? No, when they ran the triple option or whatever with uh, you had Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram. Robert Griffin the third, and Mark Ingram, yeah. three former Heisman winners in the backfield, and, and RG three picked up a first down. So uh, it, it's always kind of cool seeing him be on the field. But you're right, he's a classic example of the kind of guy who has that super hype early in his career and then suffers great. an injury and just isn't the same. So. RG3 wasn't Lamar Jackson, Jackson can afford that. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. So that, that's the thing is, like, Lamar Jackson, I feel like the comparison is even more to Michael Vick. And Vick didn't have the same kind of career-ending injury that RG3 has suffered. Obviously, not a literal career-ending injury as RG3 is still in the league. Uh, but it, it, I don't think it's unreasonable to believe that Jackson be uh, follow that Michael Vick mode, hopefully without the uh, the legal aspect of it. But uh, I, I absolutely think that Jackson is a guy who can continue to play really well, uh, not just in the short part of his career, but as he as he can no longer rely on his legs, if he can continue to be a poised passer and make plays, improve his accuracy, and keep up that that big arm strength he has, so I I I realize that I'm saying all these great things about uh, one of my team's biggest rivals, who some Steelers fans 
consider the Ravens their number one rival, which I feel like is less and less the greater the Patriots do. But for that reason, I'm going to come out and say that until further notice, the Baltimore Ravens are my second favorite team in the AFC because they hold a two-game lead on the Steelers. They're only one game back of the Patriots. So right now, there's a greater chance of the Ravens catching the Patriots to that number one seed than the Steelers are catching the Ravens in the division. Well, now, your favorite, are, your favorite hmm? team is the Steelers, but your second favorite team is anyone that beats the Patriots, right? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> that, that, my dad always says that. Um, I, I, I can't necessarily disagree with that. But yeah, absolutely. It's like right now, Baltimore has a head-to-head win over New England. So as much as I was like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if the Ravens lose to the Bengals this week? It's like... I don't know if it, it would be all that great. And, yeah, it, it helps the Steelers, but it's not like the Steelers can't get in as a wild card as right now they're the sixth seed. Of course, it's easier if you win the division, but when it's two games versus one, I, I think i got to keep pulling for Baltimore because I don't know if Houston is going to be able to take down the Patriots, and I don't know if Kansas City is, as both of them are even further back. So, yeah, to me, i just I got to keep hoping that Baltimore can keep this up and uh, – you know, whatever it takes for the Patriots to not have home field, and maybe this time's a charm in terms of them not making the Super Bowl anyway. So, with that, let's move on to our next matchup, and Kirk Cousins. What a turnaround since getting chewed out on the sidelines by Adam Thielen, his other receiver, openly, unopenly demanded a, a trade in Stephon Diggs, and since then, the Vikings have been phenomenal. Kirk Cousins has been great winning football games, and he won on Sunday Night Football on the road in Dallas. Who called it? Who called it, though? Did anybody call both, it? Both of you guys did. That's right. That's, I didn't. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, and, and, and the thing is, it's being disingenuous to be like, oh, it was all Kirk Cousins, you know? Um, it was really Dalvin Cook. Dalvin, Dalvin Cook. Cook was that man. Uh, he, we went down, like... Rarely do you see anybody uh, like match Ezekiel Elliott the way that Dalvin Cook did in this game, and he exceeded him. He was amazing. Um, also, I, although did you guys see that? Uh, well, obviously, you saw it—the Rudolph catch that, like, he like he stuck like one hand the up in Odell, the Odell, the yeah. Odell catch in the end zone. Yeah, yeah. yeah Rudolph. Yeah, Rudolph's was, got skills, apparently. Oh yeah, he was amazing. But uh, like. Also, ever since we had a conversation between you and uh, me and you, Brian, you're like, I think Amari Cooper could be Hall of Fame, and I was no, like, he he's he's gonna get in the Hall of Fame. That's a fact. Oh, okay, that's, so yeah, you're calling it now. Ever since yeah, you said that, that I, I've take. seen nothing but amazing plays from Amari Cooper. I was like, oh, was Brian like completely right? Like he he played well in this game, keeping uh, keeping Dak, uh, you know, in the category of good quarterback uh, in in a lot of situations. Um, but it, it, at the end of this game, it was the Vikings D that came through to stop the game-winning drive, and they're still good. I like it comes with any Mike Zimmer team is a good D, um, and sometimes they can be inconsistent, but they showed up for this game. Even though uh, me and Ben picked Minnesota in this game over Dallas, uh, Kirk Cousins, it, and again, as much as I like Kirk Cousins, he hasn't been really that great in primetime games until this past Sunday. I mean. He's basically a noodle arm out there whenever it's a primetime game. Like, remember, you guys remember that mo- the Harry Potter movie where he gets injured in Quidditch <laughs> and all of a sudden they yeah. suck the bones out? And it's just yeah, like it was like the, the, the professor around. who yeah. doesn't actually know magic. He's like wrote a book and he's trying to pretend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he tries that, to that, do some medical stuff. Yeah, Harry Potter's arm in that situation is Kirk Cousin in primetime. But Kirk Cousins definitely came through. But like, like you said, Ben, it, even though Kirk Cousins played well, it was definitely mostly Dalvin Cook and like you said he played I'll play Ezekiel Elliott but I mean even though Ezekiel it's amazing it's kind of hard to 
perform well when uh, the O line is getting destroyed, and when you're being when your head coach is a hand clapping, gun gum chewing, <laughs> no, you know, know it all who doesn't do anything. So, uh, Jason Garrett, he's got to go. I don't know what's taking <laughs> so long. The Cowboys absolutely have the talent. Uh, to make it to the playoffs, but yeah, if if they don't make it to the postseason, then there's no way that Jason Garrett ends up getting a new contract from Jerry Jones. But I agree, the Vikings were, were they were awesome. Uh, you know, Kirk Cousins, of course, has not been historically great on in prime time, but he had a phenomenal, or, you know, phenomenal game in terms of winning this one. Of course, Dalvin Cook was unreal in this one, and the Vikings, they're certainly playing their way into best team in the NFC conversation with the way they've been of late. You know, they ha- they're they looking up to the Packers just barely in that division. So I think Minnesota could certainly be a team to watch for in the playoffs as we move forward because uh, the Vikings, we saw a couple years ago when they went 13-3 and just how great they could be. If they have an upgrade over Case Keenum but still having that same great defense and having a phenomenal running back in Dalvin Cook, who I think was injured most of that season – he tore his ACL. Yeah, early. he's been injured. Yeah, I'm pretty sure for someone. substantial so, time for the past couple of seasons. Yeah, I mean the Vikings are a team that I, I absolutely believe have a very high ceiling. I'm a, yeah, I'm also a believer in the Vikings. I guess the one my one criticism is that I think they lean on Dalvin Cook a little too much. I wish that they could get other guys involved. I mean, now that Thielen has been out the past couple of games, they've been getting Rudolph involved more. They've been getting Irv Smith involved a little bit more as well. Uh, if they can get if they can get guys outside of Dalvin Cook to get to do a little bit more in the offense uh, in the second half of the season and maybe in the playoffs, I like their chances. I was a believer in them before this game. Vikings are a threat in the NFC. So on the flip side, the Dallas Cowboys a couple weeks ago beat the Philadelphia Eagles. 37 to 10 on Sunday night football. It looks like they gave themselves while only a one game lead. It felt like a commanding one game lead in that division. Since then, the Eagles have caught up to them at five and four. So with both Dallas and Philly sitting at five and four, how are you feeling about the Cowboys now going forward in terms of their playoff chances? I I mean, it's definitely going to be a toss up between those two, but, um, I, I don't know how I feel because I, I, I don't like the coaching from Dallas. And then for the for the Eagles side, their secondary has been awful all year. I mean, we can go we can talk about the strengths and strengths and weaknesses about both teams, but it's going to come down to the very end. And uh, I feel like I'm week flip, 16. I'm, I feel like I'm flip flopping with with both teams each week. I mean, we the Cowboys look like they're they, they started out three and oh, but then all of a sudden they are looking. They were looking bad, but then they, all of a sudden they beat the Eagles in, in Sunday Night Football. Then they lose to the, the Vikings just this past Sunday. So I, I have no idea what to think about either team right now, to be honest. Well, the, I think the Eagles, at a glance, I'm looking at their schedules right now. I feel like the Eagles have a slightly easier schedule. They so do. The Giants twice and the Redskins on there. Um, although they do play the Patriots and Seahawks. And but the Cowboys play the Patriots. Well, they both play the Patriots. They both the play, Eagles yeah, play the, the next two games. Eagles play the Patriots Week 11. And at home, very next and week, the Cowboys have to go to Gillette. They have to go to Gillette, right? But, but if I will agree with you, Brian, I feel like both of these teams have shown up and been different squads every week. It, you just like who who are these Cowboys? Are they the same Cowboys? Like I didn't feel like the Cowboys that lost uh, on Sunday Night Football they are lost the same the Cowboys Jets. that lost the Jets. <laughs> no, I feel like those are two different teams, like two different levels of effort. Uh, obviously, some players were hurt, but there's also I just don't know what to expect from either one of these teams on a week by week basis. 
I honestly can't wait for week 16 to see them clash. And uh, then we'll, I guess at that point, I'll just take whoever wins <laughs> as the better team. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I think both teams have, have looked great at times and they've looked terrible at other times. I think they both have a ton of talent and can both uh, rise to the occasion when needed, but also falter at moments when you don't necessarily expect them to. I've I've been bigger on the Cowboys most of the season. I think Dak Prescott has been playing really well in that year trying to get his big contract. And I'm still going to lean with Dallas, but they they need this is a kind of game that you got to win if you want to not only make the playoffs but prove that you're one of the top teams in the NFC. It's kind of game that I think Dallas can win you know, 5 out of 10 times at the very least if you play a long series, but uh it, in in a game the, like the NFL where you only get one chance to show up, it it's kind of a matter of which, like you said, which Cowboys team are we going to see? Of course, which Eagles team? So I do think it'll be a very interesting race to see who ends up uh, winning the NFC East division, presumably getting that number four seed with how good San Francisco, Seattle, Green Bay, Minnesota, and then New Orleans have been. Uh, but it, it's certainly going to be an entertaining race nonetheless. So... Let's uh, let's wrap things up in terms of the segment with our final game, and that uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. They've been without their star quarterback, reigning MVP Patrick Mahomes for a couple weeks. Lost a tough game against the Packers. Won a big game last week in overtime over the Vikings. Mahomes comes back, facing a Tennessee Titans team that is led by Ryan Tannehill, and they lose. And all of a sudden. Those big bad Kansas City Chiefs are six and four, and it's not even on Mahomes, who had a phenomenal game in the loss. No, it's definitely about their defense. I mean, the past the past season and a half or so, if you, if you if I were to pick who's the next best team in the AFC after the Patriots, uh, even though I thought the Chargers were a good sleeper team last year, I think the Chiefs have mostly proven that they're they've been the second best team. But I don't, I I definitely have doubts about that right now, given how bad their defense is of course their offense is elite but their defense is atrocious they've given up they've given up 100 plus yards total yards to marlon mack carry on johnson carlos hyde aaron jones uh, dalvin cook mark ingram it, the list goes on and on and uh, and then they made their defense made ryan Tannehill out of all people look amazing so i we know how great their offense is but their defense is is just atrocious well, okay. First off, um, I, I don't know if Ryan Tannehill looked that impressive in this game because he looked pretty bad for most of it, uh, but he didn't turn the ball over. Uh, he did get sacked four times, but what I really think is impressive was the, his royal highness, King Derrick Henry. Um, he was... This is what happens when you hand the ball to my man, Derek. This is what I'm always saying. Like, I, I almost feel like, um, you know, going with this run-first approach because Ryan Tannehill is not that good of a quarterback is almost an, an advantage for the Titans. It, like, forces them to lean on the run. And Derek Henry rewards you for your uh, sur your surf uh, serfdom and his kingdom because uh, he is truly King Henry. Um, that's like his Twitter handle. And after he scored his long touchdown, one of his players came and crowned him. I saw him do that. So that's, I think, a meme so, I'm running with. So I think Amari Cooper is going to be in the Hall of Fame. Ben, do you think Derrick Henry is going to be in the Hall of Fame? I don't know, man. You can only run with the ball when they give it to you. I feel like they've wasted so much of Derrick Henry so far. I think he could have been you know, really good immediately. I remember having an argument with my roommate in college about who's going to be better, Ezekiel Elliott or Derrick Henry. And he was like, no way, dude. Zeke is going to be 
obviously way better. And I was like, no way. I I think Derrick Henry is going to be like amazing. I, I, and I would I would have been on the Zeke side. <laughs> oh no, and I was I was being bold, of course, but mm, right. I at, like it was surprising to me even from that perspective to see how poorly he adjusted to the NFL. And I feel like a large part of that was how he was utilized. Because this Derrick Henry, when he gets enough carries, you see him emerge every once in a while. And it's truly amazing to witness. And without it, the Titans would not have been in this game. The Titans are so much better as a team when Derrick Henry is getting the ball and he's having big games like this. They they almost never lose when he goes for 100 yards. And he's had games where he goes for like close to 200 yards. And we saw just how dominant he could be with that 99-yard touchdown run against Jacksonville. And it's like, where was this all season? So, Titans absolutely keep giving the ball to Henry. But, you know, I know Ryan Tannehill wasn't necessarily as, as no, no, he wasn't as good as Patrick Mahomes in this game, even though the Titans won. He went out, led them on a great scoring great drive, drive at the end of the yes. game. And I remember back during uh, the offseason, we were kind of talking about some of the, the bigger and more questionable moves of free agency. You guys were hating on the Titans training for Ryan Tannehill because you're like, why would you bring in this guy? You have Marcus Mariota. Like, you want him to be your, your leader. You want a chance to prove he's a franchise guy. And all of a sudden, you're going to bring in someone who could maybe take his job. And I was like, there's no way. It's like, uh, there's just a case whenever Mariota misses a couple games, they give themselves someone who's maybe better than Blaine Gabbert. But the Titans... I don't know if they're necessarily a better team with Tannehill and Mariota, but they've certainly been playing better. Feels like their offense maybe just has a tiny bit more of a spark in it. And they're they're five and five. They're very much in the, the thick of the AFC playoff picture. I mean, no matter who is the quarterback out of those two, it's you try to go with a run heavy uh, game plan because I mean, even though Tannehill did like you said, he did fine in the Chiefs game, especially at the end. I still don't think that highly of him. It, as as same with Mariota as well. So um, I, I feel like it doesn't really matter. But like you said, Tannehill, they have been playing a little bit better under him. So maybe stick with him, especially since Mariota. It's it's basically over with that experiment. Well, I just want to mention like the, the you guys saw the two point conversion that Ryan Tannehill ran in himself. Even though Derrick Henry's having like this huge game, and they're you know on two points you expect them to hand it to him. Instead, Ryan Tannehill keeps like meets a defender at the goal line. It looks like he's gonna crumple, but he forces his way in. That is the kind of like two point conversion you can only score after years of being hated by like everybody who judges quarterbacks. Everyone being like, oh, this guy sucks. This guy sucks. Losing your job, Miami going into complete spiral disarray and you end up as the backup quarterback on a team that has a struggling quarterback and then you you put all that into one play and get across that that goal line and i i, I think i'm proud of ryan Tannehill for that he went out there and had himself a, a absolute classic a game that will go down um as like a very memorable one for titans fans and especially for ryan Tannehill. I've always been a moderate believer in Ryan Tannehill. I thought he was really solid in that 2016 season with the Dolphins before getting injured. He was a a huge reason why Miami made it to the playoffs that year. And, of course, injuries kind of derailed his Dolphins career and is the reason why he's in the position he's in now with Tennessee. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be like they hand the keys to to Ryan Tannehill uh, when they cut bait with Mariota in the offseason, but he's certainly – done his job to prove that, okay, maybe there is something there. Maybe this is the kind of guy who can game manage his way to the playoffs uh, like he did in 2016 and like he's potentially doing here in 2019. So the Titans are one of those teams where it kind of feels like 
every time they're they're either winning games as as big underdogs or they're losing as favorites. I don't totally know what to make of them. I really don't think that they'll be in the playoffs in the end, but I, I certainly think that they're in much better shape now than when they initially got uh, you know turned to Tannehill in place of Mariota. So going back to the Chiefs, though, just uh, I know we kind of touched on their their defense and just how bad their rush defense is. If we're just talking about units uh, in football in terms of the most disappointing team like we did last week, the Chiefs' defense to me has to be up. Oh there. yeah, and. Uh, well, I, I think that a lot of the improvements they made in the offseason, signing Teron Matthew, trading for Frank Clark, would probably help their pass defense more. This defense, they were so bad last year, and they're like, there's nowhere to go but up. Yet it, it feels like they've barely gone up. <laughs> they <laughs> so, went up one floor. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's it's just kind of a, a shame because the Chiefs, they have such a phenomenal offense. Like Patrick Mahomes serves for 446 yards, and they still can't win. Yeah, so. they lost to is it Green Bay, uh, in Indianapolis, and Houston. All Houston, three of them yeah. at home. I, I mean, uh, not that all all three of those teams are yeah. pretty pretty decent or or even really good, but I mean, they're all at home. Like that's that's an an, an arrowhead. arrowhead. So you, you got to take yeah. advantage of those spots. So um, yeah, I mean, Green Bay and Indianapolis were both on Sunday Night Football and Arrowhead, big primetime games. Uh, but yeah, I mean the, the Chiefs. Even though they're six and four, I, I don't know if any of you are ready to write them off and say no, they're definitely not a Super Bowl contender still. But there's definitely reasons to be alarmed by that defense. No, I still think they're a playoff team. But eventually, whether it's against the Patriots or another team, eventually their defense is going to cost them a playoff game well, again. Well, here's the thing. Uh, I mean, Patrick Mahomes looks like Patrick Mahomes still. Even though they lost, he looked like the MVP candidate that we knew before he got injured. Especially on that and that jump pass, that was another one of those ones where it's like, okay, only only Mahomes is making that throw, and it of course results in a touchdown. So it's, I still believe in them as long as they have a healthy Mahomes, um, even though that defense gives you every reason not to believe in them. See, I mean, I I I don't know if I'm really a believer in the Chiefs like going all the way still, because I mean we've seen them in multiple time and time again. We've seen them in spots where Mahomes. And Tyreek Hill and Kelsey and everyone else does puts up massive numbers, but then all of a sudden their defense can't can't stop the the opposing offense. And I mean, last year when KC they faced New England in the regular season, Mahomes again he had a shaky uh, shaky first half, but he comes comes out in the second half and uh, shreds the Patriots de- defense. But then he ties up the game, and then three minutes left, well, the Patriots are just going to go down the field and win the game and kick a field goal, and, and that's exactly what happened. And then in the playoff game, the AFC Championship game, they come back, but then in overtime, the Patriots get the ball first, and that's the coin toss was the game because right. the, the Chiefs weren't going to stop them at yeah, all. Yeah, so. that's a good point. you got to have defense to win in the playoffs, but uh, Patrick, nobody does it like the, Patrick the, Mahomes. Their you offense know? can put up so – got to give them they that can chance. Put up, their offense could put up 20 or 30 plus points every week, but it, the defense has to do a little, just a little bit and to win, to win these games. And it, it hasn't happened. So one final point uh, to, to leave with the chiefs and you know, chiefs fans. So last season on uh, November 11th, 2018, the Patriots went into Nashville faced the Titans, and they got blown out of the water, 34-10. to 10. One of those games where it kind of felt like the Patriots just started slow, they would come back eventually, and they just never did. Almost a year later, on November 10, 2019, the Chiefs go into Nashville, also Week 10, 
and lose to the Titans. Now, it wasn't a blowout, but losing the Titans in Week 10 doesn't mean the season is over. doesn't mean that you can't come out and win a Super Bowl still. So we'll see if there's any kind of actual parallel there. But the, the Chiefs, to me, I'm not ready to hit the panic button just yet. All right, so uh, let's move on to our next segment. And you know, for the first time this season, we're going to talk some college football. I don't know if I would necessarily say we've been intentionally avoiding college football, but we've, uh, we know our strengths and our weaknesses. We know our strengths relies in the NFL. We've had moments where we've been able to uh, break away from that this fall by talking about baseball, hockey, uh, basketball and now we'll, we'll give college football a chance because huge game this weekend number two LSU versus number three Alabama and Tuscaloosa the game of the century of the year and the Tigers went out and they took down Nick Saban's tide and now they find themselves as the number one team in the country and in great shape to make it to their first college football playoff yeah, I'll admit it was the first game, first college football game I've watched all season. But like you said, it was very entertaining. It was probably, arguably, the best game, NFL or college-wise, uh, this past weekend. I mean, and I was rooting. For, I I don't really have a rooting interest, but I was I was rooting for LSU in that game because I I'm just not really an Alabama guy and um, not really a Nick Saban fan. Just getting all the best players, kind of like Gino Auriemma in women's basketball where you just get all the best players and kill everybody and I know you guys root for Alabama when they face Clemson in the national championship game for a good reason of course but I still root for whoever uh, Alabama is facing but uh, I'm not gonna act like I'm Mel Kuyper Jr. but Joe Burrow can definitely play and he put up what 390 plus passing yards three touchdowns in that game and was the best player in the field and if I'm Joe Burrow and the and the Cincinnati Bengals, if they have the number one pick and they take him, I'm I, if I were Joe Burrow, I'd pull an Elway or Eli and just and just refuse to play for him. <laughs> yeah, I mean Joe Burrow definitely passes the eye test. That was part of the reason I, when I sat down to watch this game because I haven't watched. Um, much Alabama besides when they played the Gamecocks and I haven't watched LSU at all. Um, I was, I had heard of Joe Burrow and I was, uh, you know, if you can play against Alabama, usually that means you can play ball and he can play ball. Uh, it was, this was just a classic. It had the feelings of one of those games where Alabama just never quits. And if you don't, if you're not a fully, you know, out and out great college football team, Alabama will claw their way back into the game and, and beat you. And, and this had the, the look of a game like that, but Joe Burrow and, uh, and the Tigers were able to hold on. And um, as more of a neutral fan, honestly, like you said, we definitely root for Alabama when they play Clemson. Unfortunately, that just happens a lot because they're both good teams. I just root against Clemson. I'm, I'm no Alabama fan. Um, so I, I thought it was just sh- like wholly entertaining um, to the end uh, when because I, I really didn't know. It I, seemed like they might have let, let thought, him come back. I thought after that first half, it was going to be a blowout. And uh, but Alabama came back in that game and made it really, really, really interesting. Yeah, so I, I haven't been keeping up too closely with LSU this season. I know that they've been dominant. Uh, but just like thinking back into the past, LSU has always had a great defense, and the offense has never been there. They've never had a, a phenomenal quarterback, at least since Jamarcus Russell. And I know Joe Burrow has been getting all this Heisman hype, but I, I was like, all right, I need to see it. I need to see what he does going into Tuscaloosa. And so many people are all in on LSU. Because, uh, like Brian said, you're, you're tired of seeing Alabama win every year. You know, be 
be up in that national championship game what four years in a row so lsu was a chance for like a breath of fresh air someone new in the sec with you know big old ed orgeron uh and LSU went out. That's a huge statement victory for them, going into Tuscaloosa, winning that game. And to me, they, they're they the best team in the country right now. And Joe Burrow is a well-deserved Heisman candidate. I don't know fully if he's uh, overtaken Tua Tagovailoa for that number one overall pick. Of course, Tua's injury it kind of uh, takes him out of it. But he was still really good this game. He had a kind of a, a head-scratching fumble early on that I think set the tone for the rest of this one. But... Uh, to me, LSU at this point, they're, they're certainly the number one team. I don't know if I'm totally ready to give up on Bama, but they certainly have a difficult path to find themselves in the top four, needing to rely on being 11-1 and one and not even winning their division, let alone their conference. Can they still make the college football playoff if they win out, or do they need Clemson or Georgia or Ohio State uh, to lose a game? Alabama needs help. And I guess that's something we can talk about now is the the other three teams in the rankings. You have Ohio State and Clemson, who are both undefeated. You have Georgia, who has one loss. Bad loss to the South Carolina Gamecocks. But they are in great position in the SEC East to at least match up with LSU in the SEC title game. So one of the big hypotheticals everyone is throwing out is what happens if LSU is 12-0, Alabama's 11 and 1, Georgia's 10 and 2, and then LSU plays Georgia in the SEC Championship game and Georgia beats LSU. I think that's a scenario where Alabama's certainly left out. I don't know how you can leave at LSU and even then a two-loss Georgia team I think would be very much uh, in play especially as the SEC champion to make the top 4. So for Alabama, if they're 11 and 1 versus say an 11 and 1 Clemson team, you know, Clemson's not playing any ranked teams. So to me, Alabama would get in, especially if their resume includes a win over Auburn the last game of the season on the road. Ohio State's another one where they have opportunities here with a game against Penn State coming up. They already beat Wisconsin. They'd be playing Michigan in Ann Arbor and then playing either um, Minnesota or Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game. So I, I think that there's, there's some opportunities for Alabama with uh, those teams having – uh, you know, possibilities of losing and knowing that they can certainly hurt them, but it it does feel like a difficult path for Alabama to get in. How come Clem? How would come, be crazy because they haven't missed it. How come Clemson is it? I mean, is it because they're in the ACC that they don't play any ranked teams, or is it just just the way their schedule is set up? Dabo Sweeney is just afraid of competition. That's- <laughs> <laughs> um, well, speaking right. of the college football playoffs, I'm a big guy, or at least. I, I wouldn't see any harm, or I, I would like to see the college football playoffs expanded. I think that would be fun. I like the college football playoffs. It gets me to watch college football. Um, but I heard a really convincing argument against that um, because somebody brought up that this game that we just watched, LSU-Alabama, was essentially a playoff game because of the implications mm-hmm. of the outcome of this one game. And it, the argument this guy was making, it was like some Fox Sports Network guy. I, I, I saw it on Twitter. But it, basically he was saying, like, this is so good because it is do or die this early in the season. It's not the playoffs yet, but you still have that same weight coming from that game. So whatever ends up happening here as a result of this, you can look back at this game and be like, you know what? That was important. That what happened on the field that day mattered. Even though it was regular season, it has playoff implications that are just enormous. And I think that's a good argument against expanding the playoffs because it, it, the weight of this game was enormous. Alabama could be done now and uh 
You know, that's that's crazy. Because LSU, they were they did not look like they had been here before when they won this game. I was watching this game with my brother, who um, isn't as like tuned into college football, I feel like. Um, I, I don't know his level of watching college football, but he lives on the West Coast. So maybe his proximity to the SEC, this matchup meant a little bit less. And he was pointing out, it's like, dang, these guys are really living it up that they just won this regular season game against Alabama. Like they were all like celebrating like he'd won some sort of championship. And it was just a, they give Coach O a Gatorade yeah, bath, and it's just because that's what it means to beat Alabama, um, and also obviously the implications of this game, meaning that LSU could go on. You know, this is a strong case for them being number one in college football. So I, I, I have a new appreciation for that that aspect of college football because it is weird that only four get to go, but it makes the games like this so much better. Yeah, four is better than two. Yep. Which it was for a very long time. I, I, I've been content with the four. I guess to me, one of the things about eight is, okay, you keep expanding it. Then it's like, oh, well, eight, why not go to 16? Why not keep going? Oh, why, why not um, do a 64 team bracket? You guys are using the slippery slope fallacy. Nobody is saying that if they're saying eight, they're saying eight, not 16 or 32. They're saying yeah. eight. No, I know. I know. I know. But it I would, guess- it, no, I agree. It would be cool because. I mean, for the past couple of years or so, it's been what it's been. Well, they've done it's it in been four teams four. It, since 2014, but for the past yeah. few seasons, it's really just been Alabama and Clemson just killing mm-hmm. the other team, and then they just face each other in the championship. So maybe that's one of the reasons to expand it to to eight is to maybe get a get a random sleeper in there. I don't know. And you know what? This year, I thought it was going to be Alabama Clemson going in. I I'm not even sure that both teams make it now. If Clemson's undefeated. They're getting in. There's no way they get left out. I don't care who they've beat. They're, if their one thing holding them back is a close win over North Carolina and every other game they've won in a blowout, to me, they deserve to get in over a one-loss non-conference champion, whether it's as the one seed or the four seed. Well, what about Minnesota if they've I – mean, I mean, if you look at their tracker record, they haven't done – they've never really been a good football program, I think. I looked it uh, up. No, that's not true. They've won seven championships. But I think the last was I'm, in, like, well, 1950. I meant, like, recently. I mean, because, like, yeah. the, the last time they had a double-digit win season, Googling this, is, it was 2000. I think they went 1-11 two years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, let me check. I'm not sure, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, left, I left the page. <laughs> um, but, no, I, I agree. Minnesota – so Minnesota and Ohio State are in – weird or not i want to say weird positions but they're in interesting positions because to this point neither of them have a hugely impressive resume minnesota has a big win over penn state who was number four when they beat them they were undefeated ohio state beat wisconsin which should have been bigger if wisconsin doesn't choke and blow it against illinois uh but that's that's it for those teams now ohio state has certainly been dominant uh They've like Clemson. They've been beating up on bad teams, which is what you're supposed to do when you face bad teams. But Ohio State plays Penn State and Michigan in their final two games. Minnesota plays Iowa and Wisconsin, and if I'm not mistaken, both games are on the road. So if both of these teams are 12 and 0 playing in the Big Ten championship game, their resumes are going to look even better than they already do now, which is pretty good. They're not LSU good. They don't have what four top 10 wins, but they have the opportunity to get two, maybe three, when one of them beats each other in the Big Ten championship game. But at that point, is the loss going to totally screw them over and say they can't get in? Does a a 12 and one Minnesota team? who has wins over Penn State, Iowa, and Wisconsin, and then maybe a close loss to Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game, not deserve to get in over an 11-1 Alabama, who's 
biggest win was over Auburn, and that's really all they had to show for. Now, I, I think it's, it's an interesting thing to see what happens. And, of course, there's so much more that can play out. And it would not shock me at all if Minnesota loses this week to Iowa and more or less plays themselves out of the picture, barring you know a, an upset win over Ohio State. So I, I think there's a lot still to be decided here. They'd be, we haven't even they, talked they about they the would be through, the Big They'd 12. be three ranked teams, it looks like, if they were to win out. I mean, well, one being yes. this past weekend in Penn State. And then, like you said, Iowa and wisconsin and two of their last three games so lsu ohio state minnesota any of them are 13 and 0 they're they're one or two no doubt clemson's 13 and 0 to me i think they'll find a way to be two because i think they'll be ahead of like a one loss team but i don't i don't think that they can catch lsu for number one at this point just based on strict schedule but i i don't see them falling out of the top four and then from there, it's just going to be like if you know, what Georgia and Alabama do. They both have to go to Auburn. If they both win those games, then that, that strengthens their resume a ton. Whereas if they lose those games, then they're essentially eliminating themselves to, to an extent. Of course, an 11-2 and Georgia that beats LSU in the SC Championship game looks much better than a, a 10-2 and Georgia, per se. Uh, but it, to me, I think that it, we're going to we're going to be able to decide a lot in the next couple of weeks and there's so much that's still undecided to this point. Do you, do you worry that the committee could have possible biases towards to towards like the bigger programs? I mean, let's say let's say by the end of the year Minnesota they arguably have the better uh like track record of of what they did throughout the season than Alabama. Do you think the committee would do you think they have biases towards certain programs, bigger, better ones? Yes, better yes. football programs. I, I, I think, I think to an extent, it is reasonable for the committee to have biases because a lot of these people on the committee have some kind of affiliation to some of these bigger schools. And I mean, think about it. Would you rather watch LSU versus Alabama or LSU versus Minnesota? <laughs> okay, that's true. Yeah. And I, mean, I, mean, Alabama, yeah. I don't I know if that's necessarily a fair reason to put Minnesota in over Alabama, but I think, hey, if that's what it comes down to, if it's a coin flip, which game are people going to tune into? So Alabama. I, I, I don't know. I think that that is something that is, is fair to consider there. I mean, I remember... Um, and that, maybe that's another argument to expanding uh, to eight. I remember, like, five years ago, I think it was, uh, they were deciding between Ohio State or Baylor and TCU, but because of the Big 12, mm-hmm. they don't have a... A, ch- a championship game and Ohio State is a much uh, more watched football program than the other two. They put Ohio State in instead of Baylor or TCU. Uh, so, so yeah, like you yeah. said, there, there's proof that there is there is definitely bias. There, there could be a situation like that. I mean, I think looking at so Baylor is undefeated and they're number thirteen. They're in a Power Five conference, and it's I think it's the lowest a team of a Power Five has been. Um, while nine and zero are better, and they have an opportunity this week facing Oklahoma to win, and I think they could still beat Texas. So if they find themselves thirteen and zero because they run the table and then win the Big Twelve and have two wins over you, over Oklahoma or Texas, um, then I, I absolutely think that Baylor is going to play themselves in a conversation. But they could maybe be looked down upon and be finding themselves in that fifth or sixth spot behind some one loss teams that have bigger wins against better schedules than they had. So that's an interesting one, and of course Oregon and Utah sitting at six and seven, but it like doesn't really feel like either of them can jump in right now because both of them have just one ranked win, and they'll get an opportunity ideally to face each other. They gotta hope they're both eleven and one playing in that Pac-12 championship game, and then from there, 
there's enough teams that have two losses that the committee can't leave them out. This might be proof, like what Ben said earlier, that make it eight teams instead of four. Because like, no, we just, absolutely. We just yeah, talk about all these this... teams, and, and by the end, like none of them make it. No, and I think that this is the kind of year, absolutely, where just like going through all these different possible scenarios that it's going to be hard to choose just four teams. And this this could be one that really pushes us to – pushes us – pushes the you know NCAA to expand this field to eight teams. I would like it if they let us decide because I'm having a good time with this conversation. It would be fun to be part of the All right, so Ben, who, who, right now, who is your who is your top four? Give, give us your one through oh, four and then five God, and six. God, I don't know. Um, I mean, I definitely have to have LSU up there. Uh, but I, I truly don't know the difference between uh, like a one-loss Georgia and like a zero-loss Ohio State. Like I, I truly wouldn't be able to tell you. So I – I can't wait to see how it plays out. I feel like any any okay, any so maybe, sort of, maybe it's not fair for you to I decide like might, who gets in. I think it, um, if I had to decide between four teams and eight teams in the college football playoffs, right now I'd decide with eight uh, based on what we know. Okay. But at the same time, I, I still like this idea, like I was saying earlier, like that guy on Twitter said, that these matchups we get to see before the playoffs even begin are the kind of pseudo playoffs because you really reduce your chances of going to the playoffs if you don't win. Yeah, no, that, that that is fair. And uh, I guess, Brian, if you want to actually go and say who you're talking about. My rankings, right I now. mean, I think the first three are fine. Where, I mean, LSU should definitely be one after this past weekend, what they did versus Alabama. And then uh, number two, Ohio State. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Who, who did they play this past weekend again? Uh, Ohio the State? Yeah, Maryland. Ohio State. Mar- yeah. They, I think they won they seven. Them. They won like by what sixty points. I mean, seventy three to fourteen. Seventy three yeah. to fourteen. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Without their best uh, player, this is the suspended. other end of college football, though. There's like games that are mid season games that are almost like a playoff games, and and there's another game happening on the same day where a team is basically playing a team that doesn't deserve to even share the field with them. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they were previously ranked one, so but LSU should definitely be one now. So I guess Ohio State two, and then Clemson's still undefeated, so th- they're three. I guess Georgia and Alabama are the would be the two I'd flip flop maybe because uh, Georgia, I agree like, with that. you said, you said they lost to to your to you guys. They lost South, to the Gamecocks. They lost, yeah, they lost to South Carolina at so home too. If I had to compare. If mm-hmm. I had to compare which loss is worse, uh, losing to South Carolina or losing to LSU, I think losing to South Carolina is worse. So I'd probably flip-flop those two and then have a potential rematch. But I, I'm actually confused by that one. What is the rationale? Because I see the AP, has, uh, AP Top 25 has Alabama at four. Why is the college football playoffs different? So I think what it comes down to is Georgia has two top ten wins over Notre Dame and Got Florida. It. And Alabama's biggest win is against like number twenty five Texas A&M. But the AP top twenty five is more of like the eye test, and they're like, yeah, they're still better. Well, so the I mean, the AP top twenty five is the poll until the college football playoff poll comes out, and now that one's kind of irrelevant, and that, I mean, that's just whatever the Associated Press votes on. Whereas the college football playoff committee gives, does their own to say these are the real number top four teams <laughs> in the country. <laughs> We did the I, math. I mean, this is officially it. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's fair to say Georgia with those two wins are more impressive than Alabama's overall wins. But for the for the record, losses, I didn't, though. For, if, yeah, Georgia lost to South Carolina. Alabama beat South Carolina in Columbia. So, for the record, I didn't. Uh, I was not aware of that. That Georgia beat two top ten teams and Alabama's they, beat they did, basically nobody. But, 
Georgia's two top ten wins were at home against Notre Dame and on a neutral side against Florida, and both were by one score. So, you know, I, I don't know in terms of, oh, they didn't cover the spread, whatever, if that, that plays into the committee's um, decision on any of this stuff. Did that but really factor into this, the decision? Not covering Clemson the... was number five because they barely beat UNC, so. <laughs> Not covering but, the spread I mean, against yeah. a team, that's. No, regardless, the top 10 win is the top 10 win. So I think it's fair for Georgia. And of course, they, they have everything in their favor with an opportunity to play in the SEC East. Um, to, an SEC championship game is the SEC East division winner. So, all right. So let's, uh, let's wrap things up today with the top five. So next week will be the 15th year anniversary of one of our favorite childhood tv characters hitting the big screen as a spongebob squarepants movie was released on november 19 2004 in honor of that anniversary the three of us are about to count down our favorite episodes from the tv show in today's top five not two not three not four top five top five top five all right so i will attempt to get us started and yeah, I, I think you will both agree that just choosing five episodes is nearly impossible. Uh, one of the hardest top fives we've had to do. But I'll give us um, our number five. And for me, it is ARG. And I, I love Treasure Hunts. It's just like such a fun episode, of course, with uh, Mr. Krabs being the, the greedy um, man he is. He has this opportunity to find a treasure hunt from a video, from a board game that's you know based on a real treasure map and turns out there actually is a treasure hunt of course you have uh the the funny quote uh that patrick gives with uh thought you said weast yeah thought you said weast (laughs) (laughs) that's west patrick (laughs) um but of course it does have a, a bit of a happy ending as uh spongebob and patrick get gold coins from the flying dutchman while he gives mr krabs a toy treasure chest showing that hey don't be greedy so, number five, Arg. Number four, Shanghai. And this is another episode of the Flying Dutchman as SpongeBob, Patrick, and Squidward end up on the Flying Dutchman's ship where they become his, his crew members for eternity. And this is one that has a few, like, really funny moments. Of course, one of those obscure, like, when SpongeBob and Patrick become part of real life as they're going through the, uh, the, the perf- perfume section of the department store. And... Really, the one thing that really stands out with this episode for me is when um, they're they're going through and Patrick is uh, commanding the ship, and the Flying Dutchman says, "All right, uh, time to do our evil laughs." <laughs> and Patrick's <laughs> one of my favorite voices. This is a stupid thing, but I just love saying that. So that that becomes my number. It's four. an iconic sound. Like people recognize if you make it that is. noise, people will be like, "Oh, he's he's Patrick." And you're like, "Oh, that's what it is." Yep, yep. <laughs> so <laughs> at at, uh, at number three, Life of Crime, and this is just one of those episodes where it's like the concept of this is so dumb, yet SpongeBob is somehow able to make this a, a timeless one. Was they, they steal a balloon on free balloon day, and all of a sudden SpongeBob and Patrick need to just go into hiding, leave town, and live a life of crime. And of course, one of the the bigger subplots, or I guess even main plots of this, is when when uh, they just have one candy bar to keep them uh, 
from being hungry uh, while they're on the road. And Patrick, of course, with a, I think I'll eat it now. And then <laughs> tries to eat it again. Only food. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to starve. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that that's just another another classic moment, classic episode, Life of Crime number three. Number two, this feels like a bit of a basic answer to have it this high, but pizza delivery, and really one of the more iconic things is SpongeBob walking, holding the pizza, singing the Krusty Krab pizza song, and then the big one is the, the rock star voice, the Krusty Krab <laughs> pizza. That's the big one that everyone loves. And, of course, the, the whole Pioneer thing, like riding the boulder and Squidward just throwing the pizza uh, yeah, in the when, guy's face when he claims hey, what about, about my diet, Dr. Diet Kelp? Dr. Kelp. <laughs> Yeah, so there's just a, a lot of a lot of a lot of feel good moments I, I, in, in this one. I love that SpongeBob can't drive a boat, but he can drive a rock backwards. Drive a rock, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pioneers used to ride these babies for miles. <laughs> so, number two, pizza delivery, and then number one. Well, the rest of these were difficult for me to come up with. Number one was always going to be Band Geeks. This is one that has plenty of quotable Patrick moments. Uh, of course, the, the one of the more iconic ones is mayonnaise an instrument. And then one of the, the lesser but still funny ones, the, the owner of the white sedan, you left your lights on. But really the big reason why this is number one for me is the final scene, Sweet Victory. Play it at the Bubble Bowl. Uh, this is That's a song that has definitely come on my Spotify shuffle plenty of times over the years. You know, it's, uh, one of those things that makes this episode just truly one of the greatest endings of a SpongeBob episode. Of course, a feel-good moment as well with Squidward showing up his rival Squilliam Fancy song. It's definitely so. an episode I feel like uh, Maroon 5 would really, really appreciate. Or, or, or <laughs> apparently not, actually. Failing in the Super Bowl. Yeah, biggest uh, miss of all man. time. Biggest missed opportunity of all time. Yep. That would have gone over so well. Yep. So, all right, Ben, all right. you want to go? Uh, yes, I will go next. And like Corey said, this is impossible. You can't cram fun, <laughs> SpongeBob into just five episodes and be like, these are the best ones. It is too many great episodes. But I will bring up five of my favorite, uh, starting with number five, Sailor Mouth. And this is the classic episode where SpongeBob and Patrick find a dirty word on the dumpster behind the Krusty Krab. And they learn how to use it. And it's so funny because this is a kid's show. And that's like a novel part of being a kid is learning about cuss words and then learning about how they're like their place in society and how there were these special words. Because at first they think they're sentence enhancers, but then it turns out that they're bad words. And then they tell on each other for using them and they, well, using it because they think there's only one. But then Mr. Crab stubs his toe and uses all 13 of them. <laughs> and I just think it's a hilarious hilarious uh concept for a kid's show to have so much fun with the idea of swearing especially because the main cuss word that they use is a dolphin noise <laughs> and it's- yeah. I, mean, I, lo- I love it i love it spongebob walks in the crusty crab and he comes up to patrick and he's like hey patrick how are you pretty good spongebob and i'll be honest as a kid when i first saw this i was so young i it just felt like they were plugging a noise in i didn't know what the word was that they weren't saying but as an adult you're like oh my god 
<laughs> I can't not hear it. <laughs> Why am I letting my kids watch this? <laughs> uh, so yeah, number five, Sailor Mouth, an amazing and very memorable episode. Okay, number four, Procrastination. Um, and this one was definitely mostly like one bit that lasts like an entire episode, but it's so relatable and only became more and more relatable as I got further and further into academia. But basically the, the episode is SpongeBob has to write an 800 word essay on what not to do at a stoplight. And he pulls out every trick in the book to avoid doing it. He, he, he procrastinates and the anxiety I get from watching this episode is so visceral, so real. Um, it's almost tough to watch because they really get the feeling of uh, procrastinating. And it also birthed like that very famous meme or, or very used meme of like the very fancy the um, that SpongeBob does because mm-hmm. at one point he gets enough motivation to start writing and it looks like he's going in but it's just a really fancy the. <laughs> yeah like honestly that was the only thing like when i first saw this that was like the only part of this episode i remember so i'm just coming back to me as you're talking about it now but it's like just the it's just he has a dream like in it he start he falls asleep on the paper and he has a dream that because he fell asleep writing his paper his house burns down and he escapes and his house comes to life while it's burning and it's like why spongebob why didn't you just write your paper like it's an absolute fever dream um and it's amazing and the way that it's resolved is the next day spongebob gets to school he writes the whole paper after he wakes up and he runs to school and mrs puff's like oh spongebob sorry i tried to call you i actually said like i canceled that assignment we're just gonna take a field trip to a stoplight instead <laughs> yeah that's that must be the greatest field trip ever it's just going <laughs> it's to a normal stupid. stoplight it's so stupid i mean the assignment originally 800 words about what not to do at a stoplight that's already pretty dumb uh should have been easier but a classic and hilarious episode um which also you know boating school is a big part of spongebob's life so definitely had to be in my top five uh, number three is frankendoodle and everybody remembers uh doodle bob that's the, this is the episode that he's in and but what makes this episode extra funny is because they have the real life artist who drops the pencil in this magic pencil that comes mm-hmm. from you know above the sea and the way that they make fun of themselves because uh, SpongeBob is like, careful, Patrick, that with this tool, like you can create art, like he, with each, each uh, work must be treated as a child and a masterpiece. And then Patrick grabs, he's like, chill out. I was just going to draw a cartoon. And SpongeBob's like, oh, why didn't you just say so? <laughs> like, that's not art, you know, as their cartoon characters, very meta uh, humor from SpongeBob that I, I didn't appreciate until I was older. Um, but it's also kind of a fun resolution because the way that the story is solved the uh they they catch doodle bob on a piece of paper and then he finally he smiles he's happy uh he's where he's supposed to be and they return the paper to the to the artist at sea who learns the second rule of the of be of the being an artist at sea which is always bring a pencil sharpener so um they have it frank and doodle it was just a transcendent episode after i i recently watched it when steven hillenberg died and i was like dang this episode actually went for it like this is pretty ambitious and uh, yeah, I, I didn't know if you guys wanted to say anything. I'm going. I kind of went off on a rant. No, no, it's just, that's just a great one. I'm just like picturing the guy yelling, "My pencil." <laughs> I, 
Is that the same guy who does a voice on like all the Nickelodeon shows? Uh, I know that that guy or... does something else. Like he, it's a, it's, it's kind of like a Patchy the Pirate thing where because I mean, he voices Plankton. I'm pretty yeah, sure. yeah. It's it's one of the okay. characters. Is it? Am I, I might just be thinking of other SpongeBob episodes. Because my head is like, is this the same guy who does like Drake and Josh and like, Zoe 101, like all like the sound bits? But, but it might any, not. Be. Yeah, but I still as another good example, SpongeBob played with that idea of like real world and then the cartoon world underwater, uh, which was also great. Mm-hmm. He's hideous. He makes me. So- Sick just looking at him. <laughs> 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 uh, okay, so Frankie Doodle is nine number three. Um, number two, Survival of the Idiots. And this is a true classic. This one is so good. It's classic SpongeBob and Patrick just being oh, very so stupid. It's the episode yeah. <laughs> where Sandy goes into hibernation uh, while SpongeBob and Patrick are in her tree dome and they have to survive winter. And at first, they think it's kind of awesome. Um, and they like I don't know. It's the episode that has Pinhead Larry and Dirty Dan. I don't, I don't need to summarize it. Yeah. We, we've seen it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they end up shearing Sandy for all her fur, which had that cl- like iconic line. It's like Patrick, are you crazy? And he's like, No, I'm warm. <laughs> and then they decide to they they tear off all her fur, and then right when they're warm, spring happens, and Sandy wakes up to find herself completely naked and ends up wearing them as clothes. Like such a such a like uh, spongebob and patrick as clothes um such a great ending to a very memorable episode no most notably because of pinhead larry and dirty dan and dirty dan (laughs) yeah i mean as as another (laughs) uh, patrick with a who you calling pinhead (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay spongebob you can be dirty dan i just want to be (laughs) (laughs) also like while spongebob's in the middle of getting beat up by sandy like spongebob lands in a crater that sandy threw him into and then patrick comes over the edge of the crater next to sandy he's like did you win and then gets conked on the head by a piece of wood spongebob threw at sandy uh it's it's a great episode so that's my number two and finally number one same number one that Corey has band geeks and for a special reason not only is this just a very iconic episode with great music it also displays how funny spongebob can be for like the majority of the episode before that tremendous um musical piece that everybody remembers like there's that part where spongebob or squidward is practicing it's like all right let's go with the brass and it sounds terrible uh woodwinds and now the drums and all the drum players put their sticks in their mouths and try to blow on them and then they all shoot at squidward (laughs) and like pin him to the wall and squidward's like too bad that didn't kill me (laughs) it's it's so funny like it, it has no like this this episode i think captures kind of um, what we love from Spongebob, especially what we love from Squidward. Because as you get older, I feel like it's a realization that a lot of people come to is that when, you get, when you're young, you identify with Spongebob and you love the fun-loving, the imagination aspect of it and just being cheerful and happy about everything and thinking things are funny and being a kid. But Squidward gives us a view of what it's like to be an adult where your innocence is gone and you're miserable. And Squidward, for once... In the entirety of SpongeBob that I know of, he wins in this episode. He does get what he wants. He doesn't end up being an ultimate failure uh, in the end. Band Geeks gives Squidward an opportunity to finally win. You know, the ultimate win. And not only is it like succeeding at something, but also in in the face of his rival who doubted him. Um, and it's all thanks to the the magic of SpongeBob. So for me, it, it, it's it's this spiritual conclusion to what SpongeBob is. SpongeBob is non. Um, 
uh, it's a non-serial cartoon. It will never end. Everything basically resets at the end of every episode. But I've, I've heard the argument that this is kind of the spiritual finale for SpongeBob because it's the one thing it does differently is it does give Squidward that moment of euphoria, that victory, uh, that sweet victory. Um, and, and you can say it's like they've really done it. This show has reached a pinnacle uh, because obviously SpongeBob eventually is not that great of a show. All these episodes we're referencing are mm-hmm. pretty early in the run. Um, but I think that for them to pull this off, it kind of puts that stamp on early seasons of SpongeBob as just like a tremendous, like actually good uh, television show. All right. Uh, so uh, if you haven't figured out from my obnoxious uh, co- uh, quoting during, uh, during Ben's list, I am also a huge fan of SpongeBob. And for my number five, I went with No Weenies Allowed. And that is the episode when uh, SpongeBob and Sandy, they go to the Salty Spittoon and they, and Sponge, Sandy gets in, but SpongeBob doesn't. And he wants to prove to the bouncer, Reg, uh, that he's tough enough to get in. But then uh, Reg thinks, uh, I think you're better over there, which was uh, Weenie Hut <laughs> Juniors. And, <clears throat> and then uh, he's out, he, he's, he's hanging out at Weenie Hut Juniors and the robot's like, Oh, uh, can I get you another Sunday weenie? And then he's like, I'm like, I'm not a weenie. And then other guys like, oh, well, uh, like relax. I'm, I'll be friends with you. Like my friends don't hang out with the weenie hot juniors. And then Patrick's like, you tell him SpongeBob. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Here? <laughs> uh, uh, so I love. So I love this that one. Scene. Also just, has lo- the. Um, I ate a bullet. He's like, welcome to the salty spittoon. How tough are you? Yeah. Yeah. How tough are you? Yeah. I ate a bullet nails for breakfast. So good. Yeah. Without and, any and Brian, like I, I love SpongeBob references. Like you talked about how you've been, ref- you've been coming up with these references this whole time. That's the whole point. I, I like come, SpongeBob is so I come quotable. up with, re- no, not, not just now, like in, just in my life, like anywhere. Or I'm just going to reference SpongeBob. I should put, if, if I were to ever make a dating profile, the first thing is if, I would put is if you don't get my SpongeBob references, this is never gonna work out. <laughs> uh, I feel like half of your texts to me are just like photos of yeah, SpongeBob, SpongeBob memes, like memes or quotes or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, and I I just love one of the biggest reasons why I love that episode is just because SpongeBob wants to prove that he just he, that he's not gonna give up and he wants to prove that he can be tough enough to make it. And he eventually does make it in, but he slips on an ice cube, of course. Uh, so I went with that as my number five. My number four, I went with the Nasty Patty. And that is when uh, the health inspector arrives at the Krusty Krab to make sure the place is good to go. And then all of a sudden, uh, Mr. Krabs and SpongeBob, they see on the TV that there's a phony imposter out there. So they decide to make a Nasty Patty by putting all like, all, all the worst condiments on it and dropping it in the toilet and all these all horrible things and they'd feed it to the health inspector but then uh, a bug flies in his mouth and ends up killing him or as as they thought but what's funny about it is that it's a kid show like you said ben for um from one of your other top fives that it's a kid show but they killed somebody (laughs) (laughs) they think they killed somebody and they decided to bury him out in the middle of nowhere and then the cops show up <laughs> the cops show up and they decide to bring bring spongebob and mr krabs back to the crusty crab and then spongebob is all nervous and he's like what do you want me to do with the b- bottles of soda oh bottles of soda just put in the freezer yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so i just i just love that even though it's a kid's show it 
has some adult humor as well, especially thinking that they killed somebody. Uh, so it's a hilarious episode. I went with that as my number four. Uh, my number three, I went with the graveyard shift. And that is when Squidward and SpongeBob are told by Mr. Krabs that they have to work 24 hours. And of course, SpongeBob loves it. And of course, Squidward absolutely hates it. And what does Squidward do working 24 hours? He decides to tell SpongeBob a scary story about the hash slinging slasher and the phone will ring and there'll be nobody there. And, and then what I love at the end is that after Squidward tells him that's a joke, it actually plays out throughout the episode where the lights will flicker on and off. The phone rings and then, and then someone actually shows up at three in the morning, of course, uh, to scare the crap out of Squidward. And, uh, very hilarious and entertaining episode, and I went with that as my number three. Yeah, one one of my favorite things about this is like, well, what what about the who was flickering all the lights? <laughs> and then they all turn is like Nosferatu, <laughs> and just like the vampire guy. <laughs> so absurd. Uh, yeah, that's a, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So one thing I'll say is your your number three and four, Graveyard Chef and Nasty Patty, were two that were tough to leave off my top five. Oh, I, I, I had. Like we've talked about, I I left out a few that I really did not want to leave off, um, which I will mention later. But uh, for my, my my number two, I went with Idiot Box, and that is the episode when SpongeBob and Patrick decide to buy a giant screen TV, not to watch the TV, just to play in the box. And then Squidward, of course, judges them for doing that, and he takes the TV. But then all of a sudden. Throughout the episode, he hears all these noises. Their imagination, and what what exactly what exactly is going on in their imagination? And then Squidward is just contemplating how do they how do they make that box work like that with all those noises? And uh, it's just it's such a funny episode, and it's one of of course being having it in my top five. It's one of my personal favorites. But my number one is actually not Band Geeks. Um, my number one is Dying for Pie, and that is the episode when. Um, for employee brotherhood day uh <laughs> spongebob decides to, he decides to buy, he decides to make squidward a sweater out of his eyelashes and then of course squidward hates it but he has he has to make him a gift um and then what he does is uh, behind the crusty crab there's for some reason there's a pirate ship with all these pie bombs and decides he decides to buy the the pie, thinking it's a pie, not a bomb. He buys the pie, and then he thinks SpongeBob ate this pie, and uh, Mr. Krabs tells him that he doesn't have much time to live. Like you've seen this before, eleven times, as a matter of fact. So he has to he has to take the rest of the day off and give SpongeBob the best day of his life before he dies, and. Which SpongeBob has a list, a huge comprehensive list of all the things he wants to yeah. do with Squidward. All the fun things that he could do, yeah, <laughs> with Squidward. And um, like like what you said, Ben, for 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 your number one, uh, we grew appreciation for SpongeBob, but I also grew appreciation with for Squidward for this particular episode, apparently, also. And just because. Uh, most episodes you see Squidward just hating on SpongeBob, but for this one, he decided what he did was awful. But for his last quote unquote last day, um, he decided to do all the fun things that he wanted to do uh, before he quote unquote died. But of course, by the end, he did not die. And uh, 
Uh, he did not eat the pie. And to cap it off, my favorite all-time moment is also in this episode, and it is the very end of the this episode when SpongeBob is like, "Oh, this pie? Like, <laughs> oh yeah, like I I was gonna share it <laughs> with you, like, and let's see." And then he trips on the rock that just magically appears out of nowhere and then just lands on squidward's face and then you just see an explosion out of bikini bottom <laughs> <laughs> the first time i first time I, I that that scene never gets old i laugh every single time i will go on my phone youtube that randomly middle of the day and just watch that 10 second clip of squidward just getting blasted right in the face by the pie oh <laughs> uh, it's, it's it's so good so i have dying for pie as my number one episode and what about your honorable for, mentions? For honorable mentions that we can mention, uh, I hate that I left the camping episode out and the chocolate one. Those are two episodes. Yeah, that those I are really two awesomes. Yeah, those are two that I really yeah. did not want to leave off by to pick. Okay, from. I'm gonna I'm just gonna run through it very quickly. My because it's a little bit long. My honorable mentions. I looked through the first three seasons and just picked out the very best episodes. And unfortunately, I still feel like I, I left some off. But let, let me read that out. So these are my honorable mentions. Club SpongeBob, Idiot Box, No Weenies Allowed, Crab Borg, Party Pooper Pants, Chocolate with Nuts, Squid's Day Off, Something Smells, Big Pink Loser, Bubble Buddy, Dying for Pie, Imitation Crabs, Squidville, Welcome to the Chum Bucket, The Secret Box, Graveyard Shift, I'm with Stupid, Artist Unknown, The Fry Cook Games, Tea at the Tree Dome, Bubble Stand, Ripped Pants, Plankton, Pizza Delivery, Pickles, Hall Monitor, Sandy's Rocket, Squeaky Boots, Nature Pants, Opposite Day, Culture Shock, Fun, Squidward the Unfriendly Ghost, SB129, Sleepy Time, Suds, The Paper, Texas, and Hooky. So basically, the first three seasons. Basically, dude. There's so like, <laughs> yes. but the thing is, each and every single one of those episodes, I stand by wholeheartedly as like an amazing episode of SpongeBob. Like, it's just so good. Uh, SpongeBob is an amazing TV show, and even though I loved it as a kid, and it's very, I'm very biased in that way. Like, I grew up. I in like it, it more as an adult. I still, it definitely still holds. I up. like it more yeah. the year by the year. <laughs> Well, just like some of those little some things of those that little, you yeah, kept like you said, bringing up, you jokes. don't appreciate as a kid. Yeah, you don't understand them as a kid, but then <laughs> when you get older and like, oh my god, <laughs> well, it's like, who? like the flash, the the flashback of when uh, SpongeBob he's he's t- he's telling Patrick like, think about what Mrs. Puff is missing out on the real life world, and then it's just the, a flash a a, a cut off of this guy just born on his boring life going to work. And yeah. <laughs> it just shows him in the car, shows him at work, and then shows him staring out the window. Yeah, it's like, are you coming to bed, honey? Like, yes, dear. Like, yeah. like, it's like, oh, my God. Like, they're, they're really or the I, Okay, the one, I'm with stupid, that used to be a kind of popular shirt, I feel like, like a shirt that has, like, an arrow that points to, it's like, I'm with stupid. Yeah. Every time I saw that shirt... <laughs> they're showing the graveyard. I, I thought of that... Um, spongebob episode every time i saw that shirt because it's like patrick is worried about his parents coming over and thinking he's an idiot so spongebob pretends to be stupider so he seems smart by comparison but then patrick and his parents take it too far and they're too mean to spongebob and spongebob eventually reveals to them i'm not actually stupid i'm i just did that so that you guys would be more proud of your son and then Patrick and his parents realize they're not even related. He's like, oh, wait a second. Our son's name isn't Patrick. <laughs> and then Patrick's like, oh, yeah, th- th- these aren't my parents. <laughs> and they were just, like, so stupid the whole time. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's so uh, – I uh, stuff like that's like, who even greenlights this? And uh, See, so, so you, you were talking yeah. about the shirt. I was talking about the graveyard when uh, Mr. Krabs, he's, he, he's looking for that hat. 
the number one oh, hat the, from uh, Smitty Wur- Smitty Werbin. Smitty Werbin. Jiggerman Jenkins. Yeah, he's in the graveyard and he's like, nope, nope, nope. And then all of a sudden there's a graveyard or where one of them it shows I'm with stupid as the dead person. Yeah, I mean, just just so many great episodes. I feel like every time Ben was going through, it's like, oh, there's another one. There's an honorable mention. So I don't I don't know if I need to repeat them all for a third or fourth time. But yeah, cl- classic TV show. I definitely want to go back and watch the movie next week uh, for that 15th year anniversary, November 19th, specifically Tuesday. No football to compete with. So in theory, everyone will have time to give that a watch. So uh, before we wrap up, we do have some exciting news, and we want to say this now because this will probably be the last episode that we release before the uh, before everything is, is revealed from here. But uh, as the the year winds down and 2019 turns to 2020, we are not just ending a new year, but we're also ending a decade. And to celebrate the past decade that has been very eventful in the sports world, we will be uh, revealing a bracket of the top moments in sports from 2010 to 2019, where you, the listener, will be able to go and vote head to head on your favorite sports moments until ultimately we crown a winner at the end of December. So December 2nd, uh, that Monday, is a day that we are planning on launching it. With the the start of the voting, we'll reveal the bracket before then. We'll reveal the number one seeds in the beginning. Uh, so it will be an NCAA tournament type style 64 moment bracket. So that's definitely something you can look forward to in the, the coming weeks and something that we will continue to address and uh, promote on you know, Twitter uh, as well as some of our other social media mediums um, between now and the end of that bracket reveal. So for Brian Wells and Benjamin Carlson, I'm Corey Devon. Thanks, everyone. Who